Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou and I'd like to welcome Francophilers from around the globe to this podcast as a beautiful place where we can all lose ourselves in France together without leaving home. Today I'm joined by our regular and favourite French correspondent Sarah Swick from Be My Guest Immersions in the Basque Country in southwest France and we're going to explore one of the most fascinating places I've been to in France, Versailles. Bonjour Sarah, ça va Bonjour Lou, ça va très bien et toi? Ça va bien aussi, merci. Now Sarah, you are, as I am, a huge fan of Versailles. It has been listed as a World Heritage Site for the last 30 years and is arguably one of the greatest achievements in French 17th century art and architecture. So it started out as a hunting pavilion for Louis XIII though, is that right? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, so it all began in 1629 when Louis, uh, who loved hunting, had mm. a, this hunting lodge built. And when Louis XIV, he decided to renovate and to extend it. Mm. So the renovation took about, I think, 31 years and mm. more than 30,000 workers. Oh, my goodness. Well, in 1682, he installed the whole royal court and government there, which would have been quite a feat to move them all from Paris, I imagine, in that time, because it was a little bit far out of Paris back then. Now it's, um, you know, just on the edges of the outskirts. Tell me a bit about the history of Versailles from a French perspective. Did you learn about it at school? We do learn about Versailles at school, uh, from primary school to high school. Uh, I think it's a very important part of the, the French heritage. And uh, this is also uh, a specific part of history because everything changed at this time. So we do it twice. The first time is, of course, to talk about Louis Fourteenth and this castle and how it's been built and why and the life in Versailles. And the second time is um, about the First World War because um, there is a treaty that has been signed in La Galerie des Glaces, so the Hall of Mirrors. And this treaty was very important because it ended the First World War. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that the history is from so long ago and even though it was last century, it's still rather recent we still learn about Renaissance, about all the Italians, um, the art. So And that Italian effect on French and the way in which your buildings were being built, I imagine. Exactly. And Versailles is probably the best example of that time where the, the castles were not built to defend the city anymore, mm. but just to be to look nice. And, you know, people were enjoying uh, for the first time and not scared of being attacked, but just uh, enjoying. The... So the royal family could flash their cash. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so what about the revolution part of it? Did you learn about that as well? Sure, we learned about the, the revolution. So when the French Revolution started in 1789, the king, Louis XVI, had to escape mm -hmm. and he left Versailles. And after that, Versailles will never be um, a royal residency again. No, it never had any royals living there after that time. So after Louis XVI was forced to leave due to the revolution, 
how lucky we are that it was also not damaged by that tumultuous time and is now a wonderful museum for us all to enjoy. Yes, we are very lucky and eventually they moved all the artwork to the Louvre. Well, thank goodness for that. So it is often referred to as the Chateau de Versailles, which seems to understate the elegance of the building somewhat because it is definitely a palace. Why is it referred to in this way, as a chateau and not a palace? So back then, the word chateau referred to a country castle, something that was uh, surrounded by the forest and uh, in the middle of the countryside, Uh uh, a palais, palace, was um, actually in the city. And now they tend to call it both the Chateau de Versailles and the Palace de Versailles. So whether that's for the tourists or whether it's because it's now on the edge, now that Paris has sprawled out, it's actually now on the edge of the city, I'm not sure. Yes, that's probably the reason why. So it was, uh, it used to be called Chateau, uh, but Versailles is a city now. The forest is up here, like even if there is some grain around the castle, it's Mm. not as used to be. No, it's very manicured, I must say, beautifully manicured, <laughs> not very wild at all. Now, the rooms through the main palace have an opulence that I was absolutely not prepared for at all. They actually took my breath away at times. The Hall of Mirrors is quite amazing, but I was more fascinated with the rooms leading to it and adjoining it, which highlighted some peculiar royal customs that I was unaware of before I went there. One such custom was how the members of the royal court would sit and watch the king and queen eat in separate chambers some of the time. It's quite bizarre. Yes, so Louis XIV, as you probably know, liked to be named the Sun King. Mm. And this is because when he was younger, he loved dancing and he participated to a ballet where he was playing the Greek god Apollo. And Apollo was the god of the sun. Mm. So he wanted people to think that he was like a god and he was like, you know, he was the light and he was... The centre of the universe. Exactly, yes. Mm. So as the sun rises every morning, he decided to uh, ask the courtiers to come to his bedroom and to attend his, uh, son réveil. Le réveil. Wait, his waking up, his reveille. He's waking up, yes. <laughs> How strange. So it was like a, like a very important ceremony in the castle at this time and they were all running. to. Uh, they didn't want to miss the waking of the king. It seems such a strange custom now, but clearly at the time that was the height of honour to be able to stand there and watch the king wake up in the morning. The layers of complexity of the royal and social hierarchy was just crazy, I think. It was a whole city of its own, the actual Chateau de Versailles with so many people. And then outside the walls, people were just starving whilst watching the royals and their court as the kind of celebrities of their time living the high life inside. And as I walked through those rooms, I started to understand how those rumbles of revolution could have begun. What are some of those other facts of Versailles, because there are loads of them, I'm sure, that we might not know that are fairly well known for you over in France? Um, so Versailles was, it looked very uh, beautiful and rich, but it was not comfortable at all. And there is a princess who used to stay in Versailles. Uh, she was called the Princess Palatine, la Princesse Palatine. And mm. she wrote a lot about 
um, the life in Versailles, and she oh. said that uh, at the king's table, even it was so cold that the, the water was freezing in the glass. Oh my goodness! Very cold with those little dresses. Oh, they weren't little dresses; they were great big thick dresses. But still, all that bare <laughs> skin—they would have been freezing. Yes, yeah, it was freezing everywhere, and because of the marble, there was too many, uh, too much marble everywhere, and the marble, as you know, it's very cold. So it didn't help. No. We say in French, we call it de la poudre aux yeux. Um, de la poudre aux yeux. So that's the powder for your eyes, which in English would translate to a saying that we use, which would be appearances can be deceiving or all is not as it seems. So what they had there looked like it was exquisite but the practicalities right. of living there probably weren't as sensational as they appeared. Where is Versailles? Exactly. Now, my favourite part of Versailles is actually in the gardens in the Grand Trianon and Petit Trianon, the summer houses for the king and queen. Separate summer houses, of course, as it would not have been appropriate for the king's mistress and the queen to have a face-off at the Petit Déjeuner table. What is your favourite part of Versailles? The most impressive part for me is probably the La Galerie des Glaces, so the Hall of Mirrors. Mm-hmm. So when fully lit, it's illuminated with 3,000 candles <gasps> and covered of, I think, uh, 357 Venetian mirrors. Goodness. So the, the king um, called some Italian mirror makers and the best ones at this time were the Venetians mm-hmm. and he called some of them, asking them to make some mirrors for Versailles. And after that, the Venetian government was so upset that their secret of making mirrors had been given away that they ordered uh, the assassination <gasps> of uh, these artisans. <gasps> Oh, my goodness. So they were killed for their craft. Not for their craft, but because they betrayed the secret and they brought it to France. The history is littered with lots of danger, isn't it? Yes. I heard recently from one of my family, Paddy, who is very knowledgeable about these things, that there is a little replica English village that was built next to the Petit Trianon in the park of the Chateau de Versailles for Marie Antoinette. It's called the Amour de la Reine or the Queen's Hamlet, and it contained a meadow, lakes and streams, as well as a classical temple of love and a grotto, which were all the rage in well-to-do England in 1783, I think it was when it was built. There was also a mill wheel, which was turned by the stream and a farmhouse as part of the working farm, which supplied produce for the Queen's Petit Trianon, where she stayed through the summer. It was her little fantasy place and was such an extravagance that the French public thought she had gone one step too far and it added fuel to the fire that resulted in her eventual seat at the guillotine. Now, I haven't been to the Queen's Hamlet, so it's a perfect reason for me to return to Versailles again after this COVID period. But it's just another illustration of how dangerous the time was and how little parts of Versailles all put together uh, fueled the revolution and eventually the demise of Marie Antoinette. So tell me, Sarah, what is the one recommendation you have for someone who's visiting Versailles? The best time to visit Versailles is probably um, the high season. There will be a lot of people, but it's the best time to see the gardens, 
all the flowers in the gardens and to enjoy the sun, you know, the sun uh, mm. sunset. It's also best to get there before 9 a.m. if you want to avoid the crowd. Uh, then around midday, you can have a picnic in the park and then you can visit the, the Petit Trianon. Uh, you can go back to, um, to the castle, to Versailles, Hmm. around about 4.30 p.m. because most of the tourists will be gone and you can enjoy everything and take some time to, uh, to visit the castle again. That's a great tip. It's such a place of intrigue and fascination. I actually received a gift from Paul for Christmas, a huge glossy coffee table book called Fashion and Versailles. It's a collection of photos and stories of the fashion from Versailles historically, as well as the designers' collections which have been inspired by it over the centuries. It is a place that has influenced French culture greatly, isn't it? Yes, like the perfection of the gardens and uh, the, the symmetry, you call it Why? symmetry. Yes. There is a movie that has just come out too, Ottolenghi and the Cakes of Versailles. I can't wait to see it. So instead of sharing a recipe today, like we normally do on the Little Bells I will share the link on the Little Bells website for the movie, which is all about Ottolenghi's inspiration from Versailles for his cake exhibition that he has put on at the Met in New York. It sounds fascinating. I must admit, I did have lunch in the restaurant on one of my visits to Versailles in the palace itself, and the cakes coming around on trolleys were just mouth-watering and exquisite. And I was there by myself, and I just loved the people watching and the sitting in these opulent rooms. They're actual rooms from the palace that have now been converted into Lots of little dining areas for this one restaurant that you can sit at and eat at. It was just exquisitely beautiful and a wonderful experience to do when travelling on your own. I can't recommend highly enough a trip to Versailles. I know some people I have heard when they say they're going to Paris and I ask them, are you going to Versailles? And they're oh, look, I don't think we're going to have time. I just think you can't afford to miss it. It is quite amazing and such an influential place in French history. It's very important to visit. What would you say? How can you be in Paris and not visiting Versailles? You really need to see it. To de fait, exactly. Okay. How, can, how can you go to Paris and not visit Versailles? That's just, <laughs> c'est impossible. Now, is there anything else you want to tell us about Versailles? Another fact about Versailles is that uh, apparently the king never ate a single hot meal because the distance between the kitchen and his table, the king's table, was so long that the meals always arrived because it was always cold. <laughs> oh, no. Well, go there to the kitchens now and to the restaurants and you'll do much better than the king did, I tell you. They are beautiful. Now, we always share some French music in each Little Bell's Francophiles episode, as you know, Sarah. So today I have found something quite different and particular to Versailles to share. This piece is Versailles restyled by a modern French composer, William Rezé, otherwise known as Thylacine. The current team at Versailles wanted to enable us to be able to immerse ourselves in the sound world of the Palace of Versailles in the footsteps of the kings of France. But they wanted to approach this sound heritage in a really modern way. So they called on one of the most interesting artists on today's French electronic scene, Thylacine. He has released several notable albums and with a classical background as a saxophonist, he took a turn into electronic music whilst studying at the Beaux-Arts Academy 
in Paris. Now, listening to some of the sounds in this piece, I can almost imagine what it would have been like to reside in that beautiful place when it was quiet and hear the sounds like those that become so familiar to us all in the place within which we live. We hear a bell ring, a chime, the mechanism of a clock, a crystal chandelier tinkling in the breeze, the floor squeaking while a key clicks and turns in a lock. We also hear an antique harpsichord release notes of music from another time and mesh with our current world. I absolutely love this instrumental piece and I hope you do too, Sarah. It transported me through space and time and I hope it does the same for you and for all the Francophiles listening. So merci for your chat with us today. It has been wonderful to hear the story of Versailles from the perspective of a French local rather than a tourist. Merci à toi, Lou. Au revoir et à bientôt. À bientôt. And here is Thylacine with Versailles.
That was Thylacine with his captured sound heritage of Versailles. Très beau, je pense. I'll put the link to the official video on the Ludabelle's Francophiles website because the visuals of Versailles during the making of the project are just exquisite and well worth a watch. Now, I want to give a few tips to our Francophilers on getting to Versailles and making the experience as stress-free as possible. Be prepared, as Sarah said, for massive crowds. There is no avoiding that. But the crowds are a little less midweek than on the weekends. Versailles takes a full day too, so I recommend starting your day early and getting there before 9am. Also, a recommendation from Sarah, when the queuing will have commenced but not be outrageously huge yet. It will be necessary to catch the RER train, the Yellow Sea Line that passes through Saint-Michel in Paris and runs along the Seine above ground, not the metro. It will take you to the Versailles Rive Gauche station in downtown Versailles and the palace is a short, well signposted, about five to ten minute walk from there. Some tourists prefer to book a tour bus, but we found the train to be just lovely, with some trains even decorated inside to resemble the Hall of Mirrors. And we also had buskers on the train, which added another festive layer to our day out there. For tourists who buy a Paris Pass, which I highly recommend, your metro ticket will get you all the way to Versailles, but it is important to note that you will need to buy a ticket just for the outer Paris zone to get back through the train platform gates for your return trip to Paris. When arriving at the palace, it is necessary to go to the ticket office first to buy your ticket, then return to queue for entry. Now, it's a complicated system with layers of queuing required, so it's a good little tidbit of info to hold on to. Even if you have a Paris Pass, which includes entry to Versailles, you will need to head to the booking office first to redeem and get your entry tickets. Another good idea is to make sure you get the recorded commentary that everyone wears on a lanyard around their necks to hear all the history and gorgeous features in detail of each part of the palace. It not only gives a terrific perspective on the whole place, but helps to block out the noise of the tourist throng around you as well. The actual property of the Chateau de Versailles is vast and is best traversed by the Petit Tran that transports tourists through the divinely gorgeous Jardin to the Grand Trianon and Petit Trianon. As I said earlier, these two summer houses are actually my favourite part of the whole Versailles experience. On my first visit, I didn't realise that the Trianons were such an integral part of the experience, and I headed back to Paris because it started raining and I didn't fancy touring the Versailles Jardins as a soaked mess. Then the second time, I made the mistake of planning something for the afternoon, which meant we only had a morning to visit the palace, and so I missed the Trianons again. But on subsequent visits, I have luxuriously taken hours to explore all the nooks and crannies, and I look forward to doing that again when COVID allows us to return. There is a really lovely restaurant with an outside dining space at the Petit Trinon, so factor that into your planning of the timing for your day as well. The gift shops at Versailles have some sweet little trinkets similar to all the gift shops at the museums and galleries in Paris, 
but the Grand Trianon gift shop has some extra gorgeous items. My partner Paul and I bought some petite breakfast bowls which have writing on the side saying Petit Déjeuner du Roi or de la Reine, meaning breakfast of the king or the queen. Now our kids and I use them every day and it's a gentle reminder of a wonderful visit to an exquisite place and a beautiful life memory. So c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. Merci for spending this time with us today. I hope you enjoyed our little escape to Versailles as much as I did. I will place links for all we chatted about on the Little Bells Francophiles website. Subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Little Bells Francophiles on Insta to be notified as soon as new episodes are available and to see the pics that accompany each episode. And together, we can stay connected to our favourite destination, France. Au revoir et à bientôt.